Now, if you can remember last week, we tried to imagine 28 billion light years of space, right? We struggled to get it. That's the breadth of the universe. And some see all of that and think that the story it tells us is of our smallness and our insignificance and our meaninglessness. But when we as Christians look at this great expanse, we see the universe as telling us a different story, showing us the centrality of Jesus Christ and his people. But we are a chosen people, our astonishing value. Psalm 8 says this, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, the universe, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Uh, We saw Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 last week and that says God made the universe, all of this, only after the fact that he had chosen us to be the bride of Christ, to be uh, the church. All of it exists, in fact, to bring us to Jesus. I want to try another thought experiment this morning with you. You've got good imaginations. Let's try this. Let's imagine those 28 billion light years of space. I know it's difficult, but you can do it, right? 28 billion light years of space. And now imagine launching off in a rocket into it. Traveling further and further, deeper and deeper past stars and galaxies and black holes. And it just goes on and on and on until you come to what you think is the very edge of it. There is such a thing. Now, is that it? Is that it? All right, we found the edge. Now we can go back. That's as far as we can go. That's as far as reality reaches. What if you kept going? What if you seem to cross some kind of threshold, not not a physical one, but into another dimension altogether? And what you see now is something you simply cannot describe. It's what the Bible calls the third heaven. It's as vast as our universe Bigger, in fact, and it's filled with dazzling light, gigantic, angelic creatures busily hurrying about with their divine work, crossing the threshold and back again. And right in the middle is a throne, the control center of everything. And on that throne is a man, human being. Jesus Christ. And when you see him, the vision now of him is utterly terrifying. But you can't look away. It's beautiful and glorious. And here, Christ rules, working out all things according to the counsel of his will, to use the words of Ephesians 1. And then he looks at you and he beckons you to come closer to him. And he 
stretches out his hand, he shuffles over a little bit and he pats the seat of his throne. And he says, come. He invites you to sit there at the centre of it all with him. Yes, you. Take a seat with him. He wants you to rule with him. All right, let's stop there. All right, let's come back down to earth. Let's kind of catch our breath a little bit. Now, that's all in our imagination. Therefore, it's fantasy, isn't it? In this letter of Ephesians, Paul says this, chapter 2, verse 6. We saw this last week. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Look, I know it sounds crazy. (laughs) I know it's just not how people think in our culture, but can you just for a moment accept that this is your reality? We are seated right now with Christ, our brother, in the heavenly realms. And we are destined to rule with him over all things and forever. How can that be? Because we're adopted. Because we're adopted. So what we're thinking about today, as Alex has said, adoption. Uh, In Ephesians 1, we're looking at this uh, little passage, really, verses 3 to 14. Paul gives us a wonderful litany of every spiritual blessing we have in Christ Jesus. Um, Now, uh, last week we looked at verse 4. It starts with this being chosen in Christ according to God's will, according to his plan and his grace. And today we're going to see where kind of that choosing leads us to next. And that is adoption. So look, please, at verse 5. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Let's uh, first then think about what what is adoption? What are we talking about here? Now, um, we've begun to think about it already in our service and we've probably got something in mind like that act of legally taking someone else's child and bringing them up as your own bringing them into your family maybe you've been adopted yourself maybe you know somebody who has maybe some of you are actually thinking about adopting a child as well which is amazing and we think of adoption perhaps as being about showing love and compassion to a child who has no parents. Your family is full of love and you want to bring others into that love. You want to share that love with them. But, but in the ancient world of the Bible, adoption was much less about that kind of loving, compassionate, kind of rescue-based uh, adoption It was more about securing an heir for your family when you didn't have one. An heir. Finding an heir. Uh, Usually, uh, your possessions would be passed down to your firstborn son. Uh, And they had this preeminent position and authority in the family. Um, Even above any other children you might have, they were kind of 
taking on the mantle of the family. They were responsible. They had this kind of respect. Uh, But if you had no heir of your own, no son or no one you felt who was worthy to take it on, then you would need to find someone to pass the family legacy onto. And in that sense, adoption was done far more for the benefit of the one adopting than it was for the one to be adopted. And that adoptee, the person who was being adopted, they were usually an adult, a male. Uh, maybe they had been a, a faithful slave, had proven themselves that that person's, yes, that person's worthy, proven themselves to take on the family mantle. That's kind of how it seemed to work. Um, and they were adopted then in order to inherit the estate, the legacy, the mantle of the family. So primarily, adoption wasn't so much about joining a family, but about becoming an heir. Now, in the Bible, Jesus is described as God's firstborn. Uh, In Colossians 1 verse 15, for example, it says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. That doesn't mean he was um, the first one created, because the next verse actually says he created everything. It's about his position over, above creation. He has this status as a firstborn heir, the one to possess it all. So as the firstborn of God, Jesus is the heir to all things. Hebrews uh, 1 verse 2 says that. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. So Jesus is due to inherit everything. And as we saw last week, that includes the church. We are his prized inheritance. And in fact, he's called the firstborn in the church, the head of the church. Now, this is where our our adoption gets interesting because by it... We are made sons and daughters with Christ. Romans 8 verse 15 says, We are adopted as sons, and if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. We are heirs with Christ. In Jesus, remember that's a common phrase, in him, in Jesus. In Jesus, we get everything that he gets. Now that includes suffering there in Romans. We're not going to think about that today, but it's an interesting one to think about. But also to share in his glory, his kingdom, his reign. We share the inheritance of the Son. Our adoption, what is adoption? Our adoption in Christ is about becoming joint heirs with Jesus, inheriting the promises, the glory, the universe with Christ. Now, now look back at verse 5 because he's also saying something about how we are adopted. How are we adopted? Well, let's read it again. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. 
So how are we adopted? Well, we're adopted because God loved us. Because he predestined it and because it was his pleasure to do so. Our adoption is not simply as it was in the ancient world. It wasn't simply securing an heir. God already has Jesus for that. Rather, because of his great love, Father, Son and Spirit, God, that love overflowing to us, he wants to include us in it. In that love, as co-heirs with Christ. He, Christ doesn't want to keep it all to himself. He wants brothers and sisters to share it with. Now that wasn't something the Ephesians were used to thinking about when it came to adoption. Because it's more than securing a future for our family. It's because of the Father's love. And now we come into what we perhaps more think about. That compassionate, loving kind of side of adoption. 1 John 3 verse 1 says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. So therefore, in love, he predestined us, it says. He appointed, he ordained it beforehand. This links to what we saw last week, that we are chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And that makes sense of adoption, doesn't it? Because um, think about it. Many who, who decide they want to adopt begin that process. You know, they start filling out the paperwork and, and so on. Sometimes years before the child they eventually adopt is even born sometimes. And certainly oblivious. The child is oblivious often to the process the parents are going through in order to adopt. It's, it's happening apart from them in a sense. It is God who sovereignly elects us. And unless he does so, we could never be adopted. So he predestines us. And so therefore it's according to the pleasure of his will, it says. It's such a lovely phrase, isn't it? It's, it is God's pleasure to do so. His will is good and gracious it's not unfair that he predestined anyone, but entirely good and pleasing to him. Think of it. Because adoption immediately implies that we are outside the family, doesn't it? In the first place, as, as um, Alex alluded to, we have that tragic story going on. Because we belonged indeed to a very different family. The family of sin and Satan and death. Uh, Paul picks this up. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Flick over the page. What does it say? As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the way of, ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, Satan, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, and that literally in Greek is the sons of disobedience, the sons of disobedience. Verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, or literally children of wrath. Our family was Adam's family, the family of disobedience, the family of God's wrath. Continue down. Look down at verse 12 
of chapter 2. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. We did not belong to God's people. We were separate. We were excluded. We were foreigners and outside the covenant family of God. And therefore also, he says, without hope and without God in the world as our father. We were not orphans. We had our family. We had our identity. The family of sin and Satan and death and so We didn't deserve to be brought in. We didn't prove ourselves worthy to take on the mantle of that inheritance. Of course not. Who is worthy to be a co-heir with Christ sat upon that throne with him? No one. That's why verse 6 of chapter 1. Chapter 1 verse 6. It is all to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. God's glorious grace has brought about your adoption. Freely given in Jesus, the beloved son. Back to chapter 2. And he said that we were in verse 12, weren't we? And we're outside there in verse 12 and verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. In his love, by his grace, according to his pleasure, Christ came to become our brother in the first place. It starts with him. He became our brother, it says in Hebrews. He's not ashamed to call us his brother. And then as our brother, he dies for us on the cross. He cleanses us. He takes on that mantle of our sin and death upon himself so that we can be free of it, paying our debt. It cost God the life of his son in order to bring you in. That's how desperate we were. That's how tragic the situation was. God didn't just sort of flippantly, oh yeah, you can come in now. No, it took the blood of the Son of God to bring you in. That's how desperate the situation is. But he did it out of love and grace for us. For us. Now, as we trust in Christ, as we look to him... We are brought into Christ. We are united with him. We saw this last week. We're one with him. We're in Jesus. And if we're in Jesus, we have everything Jesus has. All the love, all the love the Father has for the Son, the one he loves, is now poured out on us as well. Now we are made sons with Jesus. Jesus, our brother. And God is our Father. Galatians 3 verse 26 says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Through faith. Dear friend, are you a son yet? Do you belong to this family? Are you a daughter yet of Christ, of God through Christ? Because you can belong. You can belong to this family if you want. And all its blessings, all you need is Jesus. You need a brother like him. 
to trust him, to look to him. Confess you're in the family of sin and ask him to set you free and bring you in. And he surely will adopt you too. He will. Listen, he took me in. (laughs) And looking around this room, I can see, wow, he took them in too. He will bring you in as well. Come to him. How are we adopted? Because of God's great love. He predestined us according to the pleasure of his will and by his lavish grace through the sacrifice of Jesus himself. Now, now this changes everything. Now we are included. Now we are sons. Now we are heirs with Christ. So let's just finally now in the last 10 minutes explore what Paul says about what this adoption means. What does this adoption mean? Three things. Three things. We get the father, we get a family, and we get a future. We get a father, we get a family, we get a future. First of all, we get the father. We get the father. Uh, The Anglican theologian J.I. Packer Uh, once wrote this what is a Christian the question can be answered in many ways but the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as father if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity find out how much he he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as a father If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish, is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. In adoption, we get the Father. We are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. If you believe today, you are adopted. You are sons of God. And and if you are adopted, then God is your Father too, just as much as he is Jesus' Father. He loves you just as much as he loves the Son, as I've said. And he is a good Father providing for us, caring for us, watching over us, forgiving us, blessing us. So what kind of sons and daughters are we to be? That's what he's like. What kind of sons and daughters ought we to be? Well, surely, like Jesus, who was entirely loyal and loving to the Father, who was obedient and faithful everything Jesus did he wanted to do for the honor of the father what if you see the evidence of that kind of thinking in your life are you even open to it are you seeking it yes we're not perfect we are disobedient children sometimes but is our our orientation one of repentance one of I want to honor the father in the way I live I'm willing to Open up my life and my sins that he might deal with me to make me more like Jesus. I want that. Do you want that? 1 John 3 verse 10 says, This is how we know who the children of God are. 
and who are, who are the children of the devil. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. We'll think about that brotherly love in just a second. But can you see, is that the orientation of your heart? I, I, I know I'm not perfect. I'm, he's forgiving. He's a loving father. I have Jesus as my brother who's paid for my sin. But I want, I want to honor the father. We get the father in adoption. But secondly, we get a family. We get a family. So another important theme, actually, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We've dipped into chapter 2 already, uh, where he's explaining there kind of this, this mystery. God's mysterious purpose was to bring Jews and Gentiles together as one man through the gospel. So look down at chapter 2 again, verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. So so by adoption, we are fellow citizens now and God's household. He goes on to talk about a building joined together as a holy temple. He says in Ephesians chapter 3, if you go to chapter 3, verse 14, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom... His whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So, so in adoption, we, we also get a new family, a global family, an earthly family in the church and also a heavenly family. Jesus, the firstborn of the father, now our elder brother, and, and all of us are here brought into the family with him. We're all children together in the family. And many of you have actually experienced this in church. You found a new loving family. You found a love that not even your earthly family, your earthly brothers or sisters, your biological family, even your fathers for that matter, could ever give you or did ever give you. You found it in the church, in God's family. And when we think of it like that, doesn't that then have so much to teach us about how we think of one another and how we treat one another? We are to surely love and serve one another. There should be unity among God's children. Christ Church, we are a family, brothers and sisters in Christ. That that person sitting next to you right now is loved by God, as much as God loves Jesus. Won't that certainly impact the way you regard them and treat them and love them too? In Christ, we are adopted into a new family. And finally, we get the father, we get a family, we get a future. And this really kind of then is bringing us back to where we try to start off on that throne with Jesus. Remember that the key idea about adoption is to make us heirs with Christ. If you are in Christ, you have all that Christ has too, the love of the Father, the Holy Spirit of sonship, uh, and the, the right to his inheritance. Go back to Ephesians 1, verse 20. We saw this a bit last time. 
It speaks of God's great power which raised Jesus from the dead. And verse 20, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. That is where we are seated with Christ. To reign with him. Revelation chapter 3 verse 21 says, To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with um, with my father on his throne. Romans 5 verse 17 says that we will reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Reigning in life. And in Revelation 5, verse 10, we will reign on the earth, it says, in a new world that Christ will make, free from sin and evil. Jesus said to his disciples, you will sit on thrones. Uh, It says in Hebrews, don't you know, you will judge angels. 2 Timothy 2, verse 12 says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. Listen, this is the witness of the scriptures. As adopted children, we get a new future to reign with Christ, to share in his glory, life in his new world. Right now, your brother, your beloved brother is seated in the third heaven. As our brother, he's our family. He's our head. And so we are included with him there. And until one day, then we shall join him at last. And we will fully share in his reign forever. What a a future we have. What hope we have. Dear friends, we're not used to thinking like this, are we? When's the last time you thought about the third heaven? That it was something perhaps, when you did, it was probably... Like me, something removed, something far kind of, it's sort of a revelation thing. It's not, I can't get my head around. It's, it's a mystery. It's, a, it's, a, it's fantasy. I can't get my head. The third heaven is something out there. But, but here we're seeing it's not something out there. It's something that we're connected to right now. It's our destiny to reign with Christ. What a future. What a hope. We get the Father. We get a new family. We get a future. Adoption, it's a wonderful, central Christian doctrine because because we are united to Christ by faith, we share in all that he is and has. The love of the Father, the spirit of sonship and the inheritance of glory. J.I. Packer, remember, he tells us that our sonship ought to be a controlling thought for all we do. So, Dear friends, brothers and sisters, not only, I pray, might this encourage us today, but may it also change us. May we live as children of the Father, in love, in obedience, in hope. Amen.